Welcome to Going Back, 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 the sports history podcast with all the fun stories you need to know and some you don't. My name is Brian Gay, and with me here is my co-host, Tom Young. Hey, Brian, how's it going tonight? It's been a while. It's going very well. How are you? I'm doing great. We've been on a bit of a hiatus here. Sorry to all of our listeners, but, you know, life happens. I was traveling a bit. Uh, yeah. You were doing the same with work. Yeah. Yeah, I took a new job that did not pan out, so now I'm home again, which is great. Gets us back to recording, and honestly, back to just a more comfortable place in life. Traveling all the time, being on the road is not worth it, especially, well, not worth it for what I was getting paid. Um, but you know. that's another story for another day on a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, things happen, and uh, I'm happy to be back. Happy to be back with you. Lots has happened in sports since we've been on our hiatus, and uh, I mean, honestly, don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I mean, there really has been. We can talk baseball. We can talk football coming up with training camp getting started. Some news out there in the NBA with James Harden. But Boo. before we do dive into all that, you know how we always like to start off the show with a nice fun fact and related to sports. So I got this one off Twitter from Ryan Spader. Uh, Barry Bonds hit a major league record 762 home runs. I'm sure you knew that one, right, Brian? Of course. I'm a Barry Bonds stan. So had all of his home runs been strikeouts, he would still have both a higher on-base percentage and a lower strikeout rate than some future Hall of Famers who have made it, you know, pretty solid careers for themselves. Willie Stargell, Reggie Jackson, Mike Schmidt, Sammy Sosa. Well, he's not in any of those other guy. <laughs> but Alex Rodriguez, all should be Hall of Famers, I guess, more or less, is my point. That's pretty wild. But that I think that goes to show that, I mean, you know, steroids notwithstanding, uh, the man was a phenomenal baseball player. And, um, you know, the home runs are awesome, of course, but just the fact that he was able to play the way he did, put the bat on the ball, and do it for average as well as just for oh, a home run or two is pretty incredible. Well, Bonds, before the steroids, I think, was on track to be a Hall of Famer. Well, he was a 40-40 guy without steroids. Yeah, with the Pirates. And, there, and then he went to San Fran and found yeah. the juice and extended his career a little bit. And just hit some more home runs in the meantime. Yeah, and there are not... I mean, the fact that he was a 40-40 guy in baseball is crazy because there have not been a ton of them. I'm not even sure who the most recent would have been. I mean, he's your prototypical, like, five-tool player because of how well he could play defense out there in the outfield, how quick he was, and his bat-to-ball skills. I I actually... The last person to do this was who I thought it was, and I'm curious. Would you be able to have a guess at who the last 40-40 player was in Major League Baseball? I want to say... I don't think it's Trout. I think it's Alfonso Soriano. It is Alfonso Soriano, 2006, when he was with the Nationals. Yeah, the Washington Nationals. Of all teams. Uh, I think he had, did he have over 50 stolen bases? Is that right? Um, I can find out. I'm not sure. It's interesting. I really I really liked Alfonso Soriano, actually. Um, grew up a Yankees fan, although I'm a very much a Phillies fan these days. Um, I grew up a Yankees fan being New York, and they were our team. Uh, 46 home runs, 41 stolen bases. Okay, so See, actually for the, him. the most home runs of anybody in the 40-40 club. There's only four guys to ever do it. Bonds being one, Soriano like being Ricky two. Ricky Henderson has to be on the list, I think. No, he, died, he never had that power. Um, he, came, he must have been like 30, like 70, I think, is something. Oh, yeah, he is in a league of his own, I'm pretty sure, with his um, – one other name I think would be easy to guess. The other one is um, a contra- another controversial figure. Three of the four men on this list have been implicated with steroids. So is A-Rod on there? Yep. And is that the easy one or is that That's the, the easy one? 
I did. I would honestly. I know a lot about baseball, and this did not come to my head. I'll tell you if you want to know, but I think it's either Mark McGuire or Jose Canseco. Canseco, yeah. I uh, yeah. One of he the, did that with the, the A's, I think, right? He, he sure did. Uh, Nineteen eighty-eight. He was the first person to ever do it. Another guy who the steroids just ruined his career, or at least the legacy of his career. Yeah, he was. I mean, that's before we were born, so I don't really remember his career and what all his numbers looked like. Obviously, a very well-known power hitter. Yeah. But he might best be known for, besides the steroids, is when he was going back for that fly ball in right field at Yankee Stadium and hits off his head. Bounced off his head. I mean, yeah. Into the stands. I think because of everything. And then he, he put out the book Juiced um, back in the early 2000s. That was kind of like what really opened up. Um, really blew up steroid use in baseball or like the – Blew up the public's knowledge of steroid use in baseball. Um, but the, the dude was a great player. Rookie of the year in 86, MVP in 88, so only two years in the league, six-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, um, 462 career home runs, 1,400 RBIs. I mean, just another – you see a lot of those guys, you know, like back in that time, but there's a lot of those guys that also are in the same boat that he is with the steroid implications that kind of – They won't see the Hall of Fame because of it? No, no, and they're probably – there's better than – the Baseball Hall of Fame has letting some questionable people in. Speaking of things that happened since last time we recorded, I believe the Hall of Fame selection had just been announced right after our last episode we recorded. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think Scott Rowland is really a Hall of Famer? You know, that's so that's to the point of baseball where I don't really remember as much being him in early, mid to late 90s player, early 2000s. Now, granted, he was on those Reds teams in like the mid to late 2000s where I remember him a bit more. Yeah. But I don't remember what he did in like the beginning of his career from where, for me to really give like a fully educated answer on that from, you know, people you hear talk about it. It's like, is he a very good Hall of Fame player or is he a Hall of Fame player? So looking at pulling him up, I don't, I definitely don't remember his time as a Philly. I do kind of remember him as a Cardinal more than um, a Cardinal and as a Red more than anything. But he also spent some time in Toronto, very brief. Looks like a year and a half, two years there. So was that before? That was before between Cincinnati, right? St. Louis. Yeah, right before after St. Louis, before Cincinnati. Um, I mean, stat wise, uh, two eighty one hitter, two thousand hits, three hundred home runs, twelve, uh, just under thirteen hundred RBIs. Seven-time All-Star, NL Rookie of the Year, eight-time Gold Glove. I, was like, I know he had a decent amount of Gold Gloves, and I feel like what helped Scotty was just his longevity for his career. And I think that's that was what it is with a lot of people. Like, would would Pete Rose be the all-time hit leader if he didn't play until he was what, like forty-five? Yeah, he played some stupid amount of at bats and played a ton, and um, you know, but longevity helps you in certain categories. I mean, but this is also, I think, an argument that a lot of people would have with the Baseball Hall of Fame at this point is the way that the ballot works. So, like, this was the sixth time that Scott Rowland was on the ballot. So you're telling me the first five times he wasn't good enough to be a Hall of Famer, but now he was? Yeah, I never understood that either. It's like, I'm not going to vote for you for the first X amount of years because I just want to prove a point or make it known that I don't want to vote for you. Like, if they're good enough, I'm not saying everybody needs to be a first-time automatically get in no, and but i feel like if you don't get in like after like the first three ballots decision like yeah I, I don't know and he only got in on the sixth ballot with 76 uh, percent of the vote right you need 75 percent. so i mean fred mcgriff is the other half of that class i think he probably statistically had a bit more of a deserving career but at the same time i again don't really remember too much about him he and i don't think he 04. was 
I believe he was not voted in like the normal ballot. He was like the players committee or some committee that let him get in after you're off the ballot. Yeah, the contemporary baseball era committee. But the thing is, I'll take his stat line over Scott Rollins any day. I mean, Grant, he played 18 years where Roland played 17, but McGriff ended up just shy of 500 home runs at 493, 1,550 RBIs, batted 284, 2,500 hits. Wasn't a gold glove winner, not even once. Made less all-star teams, but also think about like some of the other guys he was going up against in the 80s and 90s when he was playing. There's a lot of talent, especially at first base. You know, so it's a very deep position. I was kind of surprised to see both these guys get in, and it was a bit of an underwhelming class, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I don't remember who else went in this Hall of Fame. I want to say maybe one other person was in that class. If you could look that one up for me, Brian. But Fred McGriff, he played what? Remember him mostly with the Atlanta Braves and the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, now known as the as the Rays. I don't think he. I don't remember yeah. him anywhere else. Uh, I think he did also a decent stint with the Padres. Um, actually, not even decent stint. So he was, was he was a bit of, yeah, he was a bit of a journeyman. Actually, um, it looked like the longest stint he had anywhere was his first team. Actually, he played for Toronto from '86 to '90. From there, moved to the uh, down to San Diego for two years, up to the Braves for four years, and then three years in Tampa, two years as a Cub, one as a Dodger, and then back to the Rays to end his career. So a bit of a journeyman. So again, I think that was one of those reasons that I. I was kind of surprised to see him elected, but then you are correct. He was selected by the um, contemporary committee or whatever that means. Um, it means we didn't like you enough the first time around when you had your 10 years on the ballot, but we're going to put you in for some reason. Yeah, so definitely um, not ideal, but looking at this, so they were the only two this year. It was uh, Roland and McGriff. Todd Helton actually came up just short. Uh, he's on his fifth year on the ballot. He gets seventy-two percent of the of the votes needed, or seventy-two percent of the votes to get there. Billy Wagner uh, was sending. It's so it's just crazy because these are guys that I remember like pretending to be in my backyard growing up. Yeah, especially I mean Billy Wagner trying to throw the ball as hard as you can. Yeah, dude, off my little pitch back and that thing would go flying. Uh, Andrew Jones, like one of the greatest defensive center fielders of all time and underrated at the plate. I feel. Gary Sheffield, how, I mean, who didn't imitate that swinging, swinging stance or that tossing that bat back and forth? Yeah, that was our prime age of growing up. I feel like if you didn't, you didn't really watch baseball. Yeah. And no, you just played because your parents more or less made yeah, you. Yeah, dude, everybody on this list are guys that I remember watching growing up. That like Jeff Kent, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, great hands on that one. Andy Pettit, a couple Phillies coming up with Bobby Abreu and Jimmy Rollins. You got Mark Burley, Francisco Rodriguez, Torrey Hunter. I mean, even you got, granted, these guys got either – zero percent or 0.3 percent bronson arroyo r.a dickey john lackey houston street matt kane remember when kane was a stud for a while yeah he has one perfect game in what three world series rings <laughs> yeah not too bad um then there was a lot of guys who met their requirements but um just didn't even they didn't even bother putting them on the ballot like good old joe blanton and now, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Jimmy Rollins. He's a very polarizing figure of whether or not he's going to make the ballot here in, you know, the t- sports talk in Philadelphia. Yeah, I so that's, a again, a, not a, a – really became a Phillies fan. Honestly, upon meeting you and, and our buddy Jose, 2017 is when my Phillies fandom started, so I don't have the same view. I always thought of Jimmy Rollins as a great player. Those, that Phillies team of 07, 08, that era – were awesome. So much fun to watch. Um, yeah, all the way through 2011. It was uh, a yeah. great time here in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Just all, just, just crazy. 
Uh, it would have been great to be a Phillies fan at that point. But, you know, I think, you know, it, it's hard to say who has, who can make a case, who you can make a case for and who you can't. I think because at this point, the guys going in are ones I'm nostalgic for or the guys up on the ballot. So there's, I feel like I could make a case for so many of them. Just, but a lot of that might just be personal preference. For sure. It, it comes down to who you liked as a player and who you didn't like. So yeah. I think as talented as Alex Rodriguez was, I know I personally don't like him since he was on the Yankees. And yeah, before I, he was on the Mariners, seemed like, hey, it was fun to watch. But then he comes to the Yankees, and I don't, I know you said you were a Yankees fan, but down this area, not many people are. Uh, no, I was like the Yankees. I was a Jeter guy. I never really liked A Rod. I was a big Jeter fan as a kid, but then also like, who he is fully. Yeah, he fully is. You're not wrong there. But as a kid, I thought he was like the greatest thing ever in my little Jeter jersey. There was a lot of guys on that team that I like. I liked Jorge Posada and Bernie Williams out there. Tino Martinez. Tino Martinez. Scott Brocious. Brocious was going to be the next one I threw out there. Paulo O'Neill out in right field. And uh, Did you say Bernie Williams? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 51 out there, center, modern and center field. Hideki Matsui. Dude, wow. Hideki Matsui. Yeah, dude, there's a. Crushed the Phillies' hearts in 2009. Oh, man. He was a great player that I just, you know, I it was fun, you know, being a Yankees fan and saying I had a team to cheer for that was good. Well, we forgot the most important one, Mo Rivera. How do you forget about him? Oh, it's just, I mean, there's all Mo Rivera, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Mike Messina came through with them for a while. Sabathia was out there more later on, you know, after a lot of those guys, but. It's been cool watching, I will say, as a big Roger Clemens fan growing up, it was cool when Cody was up with the Phillies, watching him throw BP to the guys. Yeah, Roger was down at the stadium. It yeah. was pretty sweet. I think to me as like a Roger Clemens fan growing up, like he was one of those people that when like the steroids came out about him, I remember being like really disappointed just because like, I thought he was just awesome. I loved watching him pitch. Dude had ridiculous, like just over, like he just seemed like overpowering. And I, I loved it, but you know. I'm not butthurt by steroids at all. I think it made baseball and it was a very exciting time to grow, <laughs> to grow up watching baseball. Yeah. Like we said before, chicks dig the long ball and yes, it brought baseball back more or less. I mean, they alienated a lot of fans in the mid nineties with that strike. What a month into the season or two months, whatever it was. Yeah. 94. I think it was a, the yeah. strike that shut it all down. Right. When baseball was really hitting, it's like a real stride in this country too. Like with it kind of had a lull in the eighties came back and was starting to really turn around and then that strike yeah and it crushed it and they lost a lot of viewership a lot of fans at the games and then i think bud selig more or less turned an eye to what was going on and yeah because it was didn't really care my earliest memories as a baseball fan are the mcguire sosa home run battle that was so awesome to watch as a kid um and just having them go back and forth i had a little sammy sosa aluminum bat at the time and Although I, I was a McGuire guy, but like yeah, I was too. The bat was purchased for me, so I was <laughs> thanks, Dad. Yeah, you can't um, complain, right? So yeah, certainly won't complain about that. But then Barry Bonds, I think, really was like took it to the next yeah, level. Yeah, just that. I, there's something about a sweet left-handed swing. Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, the two, the, my two favorite swings in all of baseball history are probably Bonds and Griffey. But there's a number three that's developing. He's playing right now. He's actually at the plate right now for the Philadelphia Phillies. I love Bryson Stott's swing. There's something that it's so smooth, it's pure, and it's just like it's an old, it's old fashioned in the way that he puts the bat on the ball. And he battles up there every at bat too. Yeah. He doesn't give any away. I love he it. He kind of has that like two strike approach, no matter where he is in the count. Yeah, and the, the thing is that that's what I think more guys need to just focus on putting the ball and play. Like I wish we had a guy like Luis Arias who might only hit four home runs, but he's batting close to 400, and he's on base because you can't score. 
a lot of runs if you don't get guys on base. So, yeah, you score more when people are on base. Yeah. So speaking of baseball, so Tom, I know we kind of uh, briefly meant, talked about this off of uh, before we started recording, but August is an interesting time in sports in that really you have baseball in the U.S. You have baseball and you do have the MLS go Union as they take on Messi and Inter Miami this evening. Um, but ba- like so, when I was looking through sports history facts. And stuff that would really be fun to talk about, I was found it hard pressed to believe I didn't find a single like really good story from this week. So, yeah, it's odd that we can't find a story. So we're doing a little bit different tonight. Yeah, it's a lot. It's not that there aren't fun facts. So I grabbed a handful of them because I just you know they're fun facts, but I'm not sure they're full stories in themselves. And I'm just curious. Um, you know, some of them might be throw. I have one that's a bit of a throwback to one of our previous episodes. Um, and then just some other fun ones. So I'm going to rattle off a few fun uh, events that happened over uh, about the past 120 years looking at this list. Um, and I'm going to start back. It is currently August 15th. So we're working on the week of August 13th to the 20th. Um, August 15th, 1905, Philadelphia A's future baseball Hall of Famer, fame pitcher, Rube Waddell. No hit the St. Louis Browns two zero in five innings. If you haven't checked out or heard our uh, my story on Rube, head back a few episodes. I don't know which one it is, but you'll see it on there. Check it out. He's a very fascinating character, totally worth looking up, and would be such an enigma in today's game um, with, with the world we live in. I think his story's just not known because there wasn't the media presence that there is now. Um, but he's just such a fascinating character, and I would love to learn more. Episode four, if anybody wants to go back and there check it out. There we go, episode four. All right. Um, on August 16th of 1920, Cleveland Indian shortstop Ray Chapman is hit in the head by New York Yankees pitcher Carl Mays. He dies the next day in what is uh, still the only MLB game-related fatality. Wow. Did not know that one. That's L- a shame. little dark. Um, they also did have the fun fact, on August 17th of 1920, the Cleveland Indians postponed their game because their shortstop died last night. So, so back to back. So RIP Ray Chapman. Like I don't mean to laugh there. It was just funny that they felt the need to put that in as a fact. Um, very fascinating though. I mean, there's obviously a lot, there's injuries. There's, um, there's always kind of a bit of a danger when you go to a ball game, whether you're on the field or in the crowd. Um, but the fact that he's the only, still only, uh, MLB game related fatality, I find to be pretty fascinating. Yeah. The game's been around since what? The 1860s, 70s. Yeah. I actually, Thought I had a fun fact from that, but apparently the oldest one I have is this one, which is in 1903. That gave me no uh, zero backstory to this, but the Philadelphia Phillies suffered their record ninth straight postponed game. That's impressive. Yeah. How does that happen? I <laughs> I don't know. Must have had some bad weather back then. If somebody knows what was going on in August of 1903, um, please let us know. Contact I, us at Going Back Pod on Twitter. Yeah, let like us know. Pod on Twitter or Smoke Signals. However, you can get us the message. Please do. <laughs> um, You're probably right. going to send us like a pigeon carrier by Raven or something. That's fine. Get it here by next week. Yeah, next Tuesday, next Tuesday evening, uh, roughly 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as Tom and I get together to record next week. Actually. That's not true. I will be coming back from Chicago next Tuesday. So Wednesday it is. Wednesday it is. <laughs> yeah, yes. I will be seeing the Cubs and the White Sox in Chicago with my grandfather, my father, my brother, brother-in-law, 
my uncle and my cousins. That'll be a great trip. It's going You're to be seeing, so awesome. Are you going to both stadiums? Is that correct? Yes. I think you've told me this before. Yes. So we are doing both stadiums. I believe we get a day game at, um, I think I believe it's guaranteed rate field in South, uh, South side of Chicago for the white Sox. Yes, sir. The white Sox will be taking on the Mariners, which I'm actually pretty pumped about. There's some cool young talent on the Mariners. And I just think that's a fun matchup to see. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez. Shame oh, the yeah. white Sox aren't a little bit better this year, but well, and they, they have f- some one of their fire sale and, got rid of a lot of the talent they did have yeah they got rid of some of their pitching staff there with lucas giolito i wanted the phillies to get him but oh i know i've been pretty happy with their pickup though yeah um, it's tough to argue when you acquire a guy who's <laughs> given up what two hits over 17 innings <laughs> yeah well, uh, eight, with one being a no hitter eight innings two hits his first outing and then a 120 pitch no hitter what a game that was huh i mean you get the no hitter in his his debut at 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 the bank and i can only imagine what it was like to be there that would have been unreal yeah i wish i was at that game and then you get weston wilson oh yeah i think he's what 28 years old 28 years old seven year minor leaguer first first at bat hits a home run and then you get nick castellanos who hits two home runs in the game home runs number 199 and 200 i believe weston wilson actually even got on base all four at bats uh it was a home run and three walks i believe stole a base that's a great stat line i believe he might have even i don't i'm not sure i don't recall if he threw somebody out from the outfield, but I do remember him making a couple plays. He stole a base. It was just like a really fun um, first outing for a guy that was, you know, guy that really put the time in, could have given up a long time ago, you know, seven years in the minors, toiling down there. Life is not as easy as it is in the majors in terms of the travel and accommodations. No, you're taking bus rides to sit from city to city. You're not getting. Yeah, and he's living in Allentown. I'm I mean, just there's, kidding. There's <laughs> worse places to live. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. There's a lot worse places to live. Um, next fun fact, uh, also on August 19th, this was 18 years after the Phillies' ninth straight postponed game, and on August 19th of 1921, um, a baseball player by the name of Ty Cobb, if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, I've heard of him once or twice. Yeah, he became the fourth player in MLB history to get 3,000 hits, um, doing so against the Boston Red Sox, and he was actually also the youngest player to ever do that at the time. Um uh, he's, he's one of those guys that I think he, he has that legendary mythical stature around him, but I'm so curious. And it's why I find baseball of all sports to be pretty fascinating is how would they translate into this day and age? You know, like what kind of athletes were these guys really? I mean, granted, I'm, I'm not doubting anything he did. Like he was like the original great. He was the goat when he retired at the time. Uh, 366 average, 4,100 hits, only 117 home runs, but 1,900 stolen, uh, RBIs, just under 900 stolen bases. Um, so 1921, when he did that, he when he hit his 3,000th career hit, he was 35 years old. I mean, I feel like those are the types of guys that would be fine no matter what era of baseball they played in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not being as successful in putting up those great of numbers, but they're still producing at a very high level yeah i definitely feel like he'd be a high quality leadoff hitter i mean four thousand three sixty six batting average is outrageous yeah i don't think he's hitting three six that's for his career right <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think he's batting 366 for the career but it's a 23 year career he batted three six three sixty six. <laughs> wow yeah that's just outrageous um i mean i know you were mentioning you're not sure like what kind of physical shape these guys were in so i follow this page on twitter baseball history nut and like he's posted of just like some like Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, like what they looked like without baseball uniforms. Yeah. Like when they're taking like BP and like a tank top or something. Yeah. Like these dudes looked like 
they would fit in quite well today. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I figured as much. Like Those those are probably the one-offs back then. Yeah. I, I mean, like a lot of guys then were boozing and yeah. smoking I mean, cigarettes Babe, and eating hot Babe dogs Bruce and is, in between games, during games. Yeah. There was no dietitians and physical therapy and stretching and all the other <laughs> stuff that came along yeah. with it. I mean, that we see today. Hence, like, like we talked about, you know, back in episode four, Rube Waddell mid-game, like, running off the field to chase fire trucks and stuff. Like, I would have loved to have seen that. Granted, I feel like he might not have even been allowed on the field these days. Yeah. Um, there's some more testing and stuff going on now. <laughs> Could be a PR nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of what he did was pretty innocent, but in the end, I mean, either way, <laughs> kind of weird. But, yeah, I just, I find it interesting. I would love to... I would love to, like, I want to go back. I'd love to get to the Hall of Fame. I haven't been there since I was a kid. I've never been up there. It's something oh, I would definitely want to do. Well, maybe we, we'll make a go of it, see if we can uh, record live from Cooperstown. That'd be sweet. That would actually be awesome. Um, See if we can get someone, like, from Cooperstown on, join an to, episode with us. To, to to actually talk history. Yeah, that'd be one. That'd be so cool. Um, But baseball has changed so much since the beginning. So the earliest, like, Signs of pro baseball, if I have my numbers correctly, were back in about the late 1850s to the early 1860s. So I have been, I actually got exposed to vintage baseball, as they call it, as a child. Um, a place called Genesee Country Museum outside of Rochester, New York. They would host vintage baseball tournaments. So it's teams that play baseball by the rules of whatever year. So they have a couple of rule sets. They'll play like 1862 or 64, six, whatever. And it's pretty fascinating because it's baseball, but, like, you're not really wearing a glove. No glove. Uh, no glove. You can catch a ball on a one-hop, and it's an out. All pitching is all pitching is done underhand. Um, can't overrun first base. There's definitely some things that, that are different. But I actually, so I, growing up, I actually got to witness that a few times. And then once I moved down here, oh, boy, I, uh, <laughs> I met a good friend of mine, a uh, gentleman by the name of Matt. Uh, he who plays vintage baseball with the Diamond State Baseball Club uh, down here in Southeast PA. They might actually be located based technically in Delaware, but I might be wrong. But I got to play with them a few times, and it's a lot of fun. But like, definitely way easier than, <laughs> than the baseball what we know and play. Well, how much days. different is the ball itself? So it, you, th- there's a couple of things. So one, it's a similar ball. The laces are different. They're more in like a cross pattern over top of each other. Is it a softer ball? So it's not to start. But you only play with one ball. So unlike, you know, MLB or even like high school and college where they switch out balls frequently. The MLB, the average lifespan of a baseball is like two pitches. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, But back then you had one ball and you had to keep using it. So as the game would go on, it would actually get softer and softer. So the one time I I played with them, them a few times now. And the one time I played, I was getting used to putting the bat on the ball. And then like the seventh inning or eighth inning comes around and dude, dude, pitches me and i just like i got all of it yeah i, I thought i smoked this thing but pop, by by that point shortstop <laughs> no i mean it was a solid liner to left field but by that point the ball had became so soft that it just it died but i mean i and i and i lined it right at the left fielder but man i put that thing on a line like an actual baseball these days that would have been a shot um but we can do a whole deep dive into the history of the game at a later date, I got more facts for us. <clears throat> Moving on to August 18th of 1965. Brooks Robinson, former third baseman, um, Hall of Famer himself. Baltimore Orioles. Yes, sir. Baltimore Orioles hit into his third career triple play. 
Because that was actually the fourth player to do so. They're like random enough. You rarely see them once a year. And this yes. guy three times has done it three times. In he one was, career. he was one of four players to do it three times, but the other guys that did it were very long ago. Um, George Sisler, Deacon McGuire and Joe start, you know, it doesn't surprise me that those types of plays happened more back then because I felt like there was no launch angle. There was no see as many pitches as you can or like swing and miss strikeout. The ball is definitely put in play more. Yeah. So it's not a surprise, I guess, to me that triple plays were a more common occurrence then. And I always wonder, like, you know, did they play closer to the bag at the time maybe? Because, like, say – Yeah, and there was no defensive shifts either, yeah, I imagine. Like, because as a third baseman, if you're playing on the bag and you get, a, you get a ground ball right towards the bag, you're standing on it, it's easy to go bang, 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 and you're and there's the play. So I'm, I'd be very curious because I've never even seen a triple play happen in real life. And these guys managed to hit into multiple in their professional careers. It's crazy. And I think this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about how like good of shape these guys were. They probably weren't as quick as the players today either. No, probably not. No, probably So not. it might be easier to turn a triple play in the yeah. infield. These like guys, you said, step on third, throw second, throw first. Yeah. I mean, these guys these days, they train their whole lives for athletics. Those guys trained, I think, to be healthy. So they could play. They just happen to be athletes as well. Yeah. Um, but speaking are, of triple plays, I've seen, not in person, but I did watch it on TV. It was Phillies, Eric Brunlin, I want to say 2009. It was like a line drive up the middle. He caught it. I think bases were loaded, too. Catches it, steps on second, tags the guy who was... Oh, I have seen that that clip. Going to third, I think, or throws back to first. He, like, one of the two. he like gets all three outs almost by himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was an unassisted triple play. Yeah, I've seen the like, highlights of him. I just, I, that's one thing that I've seen a lot of... I've been fortunate to see a lot of cool things in like live and baseball games. That's one thing I've never seen, but the, those highlights, whenever you see it, it's not like something happens typically for a triple play to happen. Yeah. I want to say probably, you know, maybe like a double steal or something line drive catches it. Nothing steps they, on nothing second they can do and at that point tags the other guy. Yeah. That would make sense. All right. So since this episode has been so much baseball so far, I'm going way out into left field here. We're going all the way back to August 19th of 2016. Tajikistan's Dilshad Nazarov throws 78.68 meters to win the men's hammer throw gold medal at the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. This was the first gold medal in the history, uh, Tajikistan's history in the Olympics. What is the hammer throw? Um, here, I'll pull it up, but it's like... Uh, that was my first question. And then second, where is this person from? So Tajikistan is like... It's uh, like in the steppes of Asia. It's like a Central Asian country. I was like based on Kazakhstan, the sta- Uzbekistan, the Kyrgyzstan. All of them are in the same area. So the hammer throw is like a heavy weight on it. It seems to be on a wire of some sort. And they do the spin. You've probably seen uh, videos yeah, okay. of it. They now do the spin I, of it. Now that I see what you're showing me, that makes I'll get more a, sense. On our, on our Instagram post to highlight that we're back, I'll put on an example of that. Um, because... I just thought it was kind of a cool one. I I personally love the Olympics largely because of the opportunity it gives to these small countries. Like it's cool when the US wins a hundred gold medals, but at the same time, like No surprise there. No, but we also have five times as many athletes as it's even the middle sized countries. So these yeah. little ones. That's what happens when you have what a population of several billion? Uh, we're only three hundred million. Really? I thought we were close to a billion. Um, I'll grab an official number, but um Well I know it's what India has the most people. India is officially uh, the largest, most populated country on the planet. The U.S. population, this is as of 2021, 
but it hasn't changed that much. If anything, it's gone down again. Three hundred thirty-one point nine million. So is India at a billion or no? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There India is like at one point three billion. Mm. Um, which is crazy because the, the country's like the size of Texas. It, actually, probably smaller than Texas. Um, any Indian listeners that we may have, I apologize if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure as many of you. And China actually. Oh, hold on. So it is actually China still. So China, according to this, is at one point four billion. And then India is at 1.3, which honestly surprises me. Um, kind of surprises me that they don't have like a better sports scene, but they are also very good at like cricket. Cricket is a big yeah, thing it's their, over there. Bi- their big sport. I don't know if it's their national sport, but one could probably assume it is. I would it's just like venture a poverty, to guess. Pretty, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but it's a pretty like poverty stricken nation. It's right? um, a very conflicted nation um lots of there's a lot of like uh, pollution over there too that I'm well sure yeah which benefit. i think largely comes from just the massive amount of people there um but also they're there it's a very um divided society like they're like cultural, very high end they're cultural like very yeah, low end though in between the whole caste system and stuff is a whole different topic <laughs> we're a sports podcast, i don't know so enough we'll about stick. it to speak on it too well but uh i am not you know it's definitely a I think a lot of the focus over there is on education and providing in that way. So, but cricket is obviously huge over there. And my favorite fact from this week, August 18th, 1986, the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Kelly signed with the Buffalo Bills, five years, $75 million contract. Wow. I wonder what that would be like today. Uh, that's a great question. It's actually, so this is, whole story is all pretty fascinating because when Jim Kelly came out of um came out of the university of miami he he went down to the u i believe so i would feel like such an asshole if i just got that wrong um but he honestly he had no interest in playing for the bills none at all which uh, yeah he went to miami so he's from east brady pa so um, he's on near pittsburgh western western pa um went down to university of miami played his four years there that would be a culture shock oh yeah major change um, so the Bills drafted to him uh, 14th, 14th overall in 1983. He did not want to play. Um, did not want to play for Buffalo at the time. Uh, I mean, can you blame him? You go from Pittsburgh, which has, you know, you see all four seasons, and you go down to Miami where you're seeing more or less summer all the time. Yeah. Now you're going up to Buffalo where you see zero degrees well, and snow. So that's actually, it's funny you say that because four that's months a, of the year, that's exactly the reason. So, um, leading up to the draft, um, it was, um, Jim Kelly's agent asked him, he said, Hey, is there anywhere, any teams you would not want to play for? And Kelly just, Jim Kelly did not like cold weather, which I don't blame him. So he listed the Vikings, the Packers and the bills. So he was pretty pleased to see that while watching the 83 draft on TV that the Bills didn't select him as the 12th pick in the first round, but learned from his agent that they had another first-round pick and took him at 14th overall. Um, That's a letdown. Yeah, so he was interviewed after he got picked, and he stated, at the time stated that he had expected the Bills to choose him, but he later said, you have to say those things. I cried. Because I didn't literally cry. I just had tears. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> um so he was of the belief that Ralph Wilson, the founder and owner of the Bills, who was actually the owner of them through about 2015 or 2016, were not bringing the right players to build a championship team. 
so he really just had no interest in doing so. Um, the Bills made the mistake of letting Bruce Allen in to talk to him uh, or to reach Jim over the telephone, and he convinced Jim Kelly to come to the USFL. Well, spent two years with the Houston Gamblers, and the USFL actually seemed like a legitimate competitor to the NFL at the, t- at the time. Um, and then it all kind of fell apart. Um, he had two very good years in Houston, um, including playing in the greatest game that no one saw. So his must have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it, well, just the lead up to the, just listening to the headline for this is he was, uh, the Houston, he was the Houston gamblers quarterback and they took on the Los Angeles express uh, quarterbacked by a young man named Steve young. Yeah, it's my uncle. Yeah, that's Steve. Yeah, yes, yeah, Steve Young. Uh, the game was supposed to be televised by ABC, but they actually opted to cover Doug Flutie's debut with the New Jersey Generals. So this shows you like what kind of if you were not familiar with what the USFL was at the time, what you're seeing now is almost like a minor league to the NFL, if not officially, but it's a minor league sport at best. The USFL was pulling names from the NFL. I mean, I just listed three quarterbacks who. All had very solid NFL careers. What, two or three Hall of Famers, right? Uh, Kelly and Young. I, Flutie is not. So, yes, two of them. Yeah, that was a two or three I was thinking. Yeah. And just kidding, Steve Young is not my uncle. <laughs> that would be sweet. So, they changed last minute to cover Flutie's game. Um, so, only the cameramen that worked that game were on hand, that worked for the teams were on hand to record the game. Houston raced out to an early lead, but then Steve... Lo- Young and the Los Angeles Express mounted a comeback that led them to being ahead 33-14 to 14 with just under 10 minutes left in the game. Jim Kelly doing what he does best, put on a comeback that would see them pull off a 34-33 win, throwing for 574 yards in the process. So the USFL folded in 1986, and that is when Jim Kelly finally signed with the Bills, going on to lead them to four consecutive Super Bowl appearances, appearances and six divisional championships between 88 and 85. Um, so do you know, like, did they hold his rights still, or did he just come back and no, they held, choose to sign with the Bills? As far as I know, they held his rights. They, that, that would um, make sense, because I don't think he would willingly come back to sign with Buffalo, given what you just said, how he didn't yeah. want to play for them, Minnesota or Green Bay. Yeah, so they held his rights, um, were able to bring him in. Um, obviously, it went really well. As much as Buffalo gets a lot of crap for losing four Super Bowls, like, good luck making it to four straight um, for anybody else. So I give him a lot of props for that. Um, his connection with Andre Reid went on to become one of the all-time best connections. They connected for 65 touchdowns during their, their time together. Um, there's a handful of guys that had more. Uh, Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison had 112, with the most of any duo in NFL history. Rivers and Antonio Gates for 87, Young and Rice. Marino and Mark Clayton, which I would not have guessed that, 79. That would not have been on my list. I mean, Marino's a gunslinger, so I would not have expe- I would not would not surprised to see his name on the list. But Mark Clayton, I'm kind of surprised to see. Yeah, I've never heard of Mark Clayton before. I, I want to say he played for the Ravens at one point, but maybe it's a different one. No, different, definitely a different Clayton. Um, I'm not familiar with this guy, but he had, he, he apparently he, caught a lot of touchdowns. 582 catches, 84 touchdowns, but only 8,900 yards. Well, not only that's pretty good. He was an eighth round pick. Um. So, yeah, and then I, I believe I actually closed out of my tab, but it was also Breeze and Marquez Colson were on that list as well. Was Brady and Gronk up there? Um, let me I feel see. like they had to be. I feel like, yeah, they they had to close. be up there somewhere. Let's see. 
Um, oh, no, they're not on this list because this is only re- um, referring to receiver, um, quarterback receiver combos. Okay, so not just like... No tight ends there. Got it. That makes more sense. But then, yeah, Kelly led... He's a, still a legend in Buffalo. Um, well, re- well revered by us Bills fans and well well deserved. But I thought that was cool that, that we, this week, uh, 27 years, 37 years ago. Wow. 30, 37 years ago, Jim Kelly finally signed with the Bills after a contentious... Uh, Contentious start. Yeah, and if he's getting five for 75 back in 88, what do you think that would equate to today for his talent level? Well, I mean, (laughs) you see like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson getting, what, five years, 250 million basically? Yeah, so I said what I said. Rounding there. I think you said five for 75 or 85. And in 1986? Yeah, 86, 87. Let's see. That'd be the equivalent of a five-year, two hundred nine million dollar contract. So it fits right in with like top-level quarterbacks. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's pretty spot on. I mean, Josh Allen's contract is five for two sixty, so or two forty. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson got what like five for two hundred, like which all is guaranteed though. Disgusting, disgusting. The man is a creep, and honestly, screw the Browns, and I'm glad it's fire. It's backfiring so far. Yeah, right. It has not worked out for them to this point. <laughs> It's sad. It's it's unfortunate when things like that come out um, because I like I really did watching him play and stuff, and then you find out that it sounds like he's a, kind of a bit of a predator. It's hard to support that, and the Browns seem to have no problem with that. So that, it's their problem now. I mean, they've as far as I can remember, they've pretty much been like a downtrodden franchise forever. I don't remember them ever being really any good. Even the first iteration of the Browns was not good. They were, and then they up and left and. Because the the Browns moved on to become the Ravens at one point, and after the Baltimore Colts fled to Indianapolis, they moved the Browns to Baltimore, and there was no Browns for a little bit. And then they got brought back. They were brought back as an expansion, and they've been terrible ever since. Makes me feel better as a Bills fan. Yeah, tough to complain. At least the Bills went to four straight Super Bowls, and right. seems like they're tracking to potentially win one here they, in the next couple of years. They're with fun Allen to- it. They're at the helm. So fun to watch. I hope I I mean, obviously as a Bills fan, I hope they win one, but just I mean, if there's a time to do it, it's with Josh Allen at the helm and Stefan Diggs being still young in his career too. Oh yeah. And before the, he gets too old. There there there's a great connection there still. And there was some reports coming out about Diggs being unhappy and came out turns out that was t- completely overblown. Him and Josh are still great friends. He's super cool with, with the franchise. Um, in, in the organization, I'm very excited for this year. Um, I'm my calendar. I believe it's the 25th or 26th that I have circled because that's when the Bills come down here to the Philly to Philly. Take oh, on the there's birds. a game down in Philly oh, yeah. with the Bills this year. Th- okay. Thanksgiving weekend. I said I knew they played each other. I forgot if it was down here in Philly or up in Buffalo. Oh, it's here. I was thinking. You know, I was considering possibly getting tickets, but I honestly don't feel like getting hammered by Eagles fans. And um, now they announced that that's one of the Kelly Green games. Okay. So that's just going to be sold out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and take a price. will be sold out for. anyway, but yeah. I, uh, I'm i not sure I want to take out uh, another mortgage just to go to. Yeah, take out a personal loan. Yeah, no thanks. Not with these Go rates. down to your local bank. No. So, you know, we're talking about people that, I mean, at least I find Deshaun Watson to be kind of a crappy person. But speaking of those, what about, how about this James Harden, Daryl Morey situation here in Philadelphia? Things have really hit the fan. 
as of this, what was it, yesterday morning with James Harden with that video saying, yeah, Daryl Morey is a liar and I never want to be a part of an organization that he's a part of again when he's in China which promoting is, like his brand for Adidas. Yeah, which is so ridiculous because Daryl Morey honestly is probably largely the reason he is where he is and he's made the money he's made because Daryl Morey has uh, I don't an know obsession that, more yeah. or less over James Harden. Yeah, when the video, when they... Of I think it was Maury getting off the plane or James Harden getting off the plane and there was Daryl Maury gives him this big hug and I yeah, was just big like, this is just hug. some like this is he's not doing this for the good of the organization he's trying to benefit James Harden and Daryl Maury yeah and it seemed like they were more or less for lack of better words getting the band back together for all the guys that James played oh. with down in Houston and Maury was a part of yeah and there was big rumors like Mike D'Antoni was going to be the next head coach before Doc Rivers was named coach and it's like well. Why don't we just rename us the Houston 76ers? Yeah, freaking the Rockets North. Like, you got Georgia North here in Philly with the Eagles. You'd be uh, Houston North now with the uh, with the Rockets. Yeah, I saw that all coming together. And I, I don't know if we really talked to James Harden or the Sixers too much on this podcast, but I'm pretty adamantly anti-James Harden. I have been since his days. In, I, he was all right in Oklahoma City as the role player, but like, he's been nothing but a diva since he was a number one option. I don't like the way he plays. He play. I I never liked or respected guys that play to get fouled, play to score the play to get buckets. I understand you can get your buckets at the foul line, but it's boring. He whines. He complains. Plays no defense. Plays with no heart. And now, in my opinion, he's just showing his true colors. I don't love Daryl Morey. I'm not defending Daryl Morey, but I just really. I'm anti James Harden, so I might be a bit skewed on my. You you know a lot more about this, so if you want to fill people in that might not know. Yeah, so a little backstory here to see, to let everybody know where this is even coming from. So last year, after the season, Sixers unfortunately lose again in the second round, which has come to no surprise as we've seen the past few years going back to when Jimmy Butler was here with Benton Simmons. They lose to the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard. Then they lose to the Hawks, and that then takes Ben Simmons out of play, and he sits out for half the year until Daryl Morey is unable to acquire James Harden. So James Harden comes in. They have a pretty good year. You know, things don't click right away. They need some more time together to create that chemistry. So James Harden and Daryl Morey more or less have a wink-wink handshake. You know, we'll help you out if you help us out now. James Harden re-signs with the Sixers for less money than he would have initially. That then leads the Sixers to sign P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, some role players. Now it comes to this offseason – the Sixers lose again to the Celtics in the second round, which they, let's be honest, they blew that. They were up, I want to say, 10 or so in the third quarter, in the second half, fourth quarter. Jason Tatum has scored like five to 10 points, having a terrible game. Yeah, not great. And you have the game in front of you, and they can't close the game. They're at home, too. So it's like you have the best of both worlds in front of you. Tatum's playing horrible. You're at home. It's late in the game, and you're up about 10. And they can't close it. And then they go to game seven in Boston and Harden doesn't show up. Embiid doesn't show up. And to no surprise, they lose. So here we are this offseason. James Harden has a, I believe it's a player option. Yep. And he wants to either get that wink-wink deal from Maury that he was more or less promises why he's calling Maury a liar now. So he's like, all right, well, I'm not going to opt in because they're going to then come and hand me a three or four million max, three or four year at a max level contract. Well, that doesn't come to fruition from the Sixers. 
So Harden's like, all right, well, I'll test the market and see what else is out there in the free agency period before he has to decide whether or not he wants to opt in. Well, find out the teams around the league don't really want James Harden either. No, I think nobody values James Harden more than James Harden. James Harden values himself much higher than James Harden should value himself. He thinks, honestly, like the way he, he thinks he's 25 still. That, and he like he thinks, the way he's playing this whole situation, he thinks he's, yeah, exactly, 25 still. But then he's like Michael Jordan. Like, you don't get to call your shots. Uh, uh, we've seen it. It's not working for Dame, Dame Lillard out in Portland, although... I feel like I that seems much more amicable, like with what's going on out there, and it's yes. Not and I like mean, the dude's been loyal. The world, whereas James Harden, the minute the going gets tough, he quits. He wants to run away. Hey, trade me to a better team. Hey, trade me to this guy. I want. I want to go here. And guess what happens? It never works because he's a loser. He is a loser at heart. I mean, I'm jealous that he has made the money, kind of money he's made in his career to be nothing but a loser. And that's what kind of agitates me too it's like you're this upset you're making 35 million dollars a year do you know what the people in this town would do to make 35 million dollars a year who are all those like blue collar type and yeah honor your contract like and the, and the people are coming out paying all this money to come watch you play every week and you're an entertainer is all you're an entertainer your job is to entertain the people who are paying the money to come out and see you play yeah, I mean, they pay their hard-earned money to go out and watch these games, and like ticket prices, they keep going up for the Sixers. They have not gone down. And for <laughs> and for what? I have no interest in paying to go see the Sixers play in this current iteration. No, uh, I don't. And now they're talking about trying to build a new stadium in the middle of the city, yeah, in, which like is center city, so basically, like stupid, right outside Chinatown. Yeah, so dumb. Especially because Philly is blessed to have the South Philly Sports Complex, which is just so awesome. Yeah, all three stadiums right there. You got Wells Fargo that hosts the Flyers and Sixers, Citizens Bank Park, home of the Phillies, and Lincoln Financial, home of the Eagles. All on top of each other, and it is awesome. There is, I think, every city that has multiple teams should try to do something like this, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, Philly just did it. I haven't said said this a lot, but Philly did this right. (laughs) They definitely did it right. And now Josh Harris, owner of the Washington Commanders, the 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. Talk about no loyalty. He just cares about whatever's going into his pocket. Yeah. I mean, granted, I will say he did he did come out and say that he was a he is a lifelong Washington t- fan. So I can I can give him credit for that, but also like in my personal opinion, I think you need to divest from your other interests if you're going all in or I you know if you're going to own multiple sports franchises like first of all at least like spread them out or something selfish? across the country yeah like Stan Kroenke did that Stan yeah, Kroenke go with like something up here in like the east and go something like midwest and then out on the west coast or all in one city and just commit yeah. all of the above yes because yes I believe Stan Kroenke did that I want to say cuz he was the Rams owner I don't know if he still owns the Rams I think he sold didn't he sell them and that's why they went to no LA did, no and they he moved them to LA so Kroenke moved them to L.A. Yeah, from St. Louis. Um, I want to say he... Denver Nuggets, and I think he's the Colorado Avalanche, too. I was going to say, I'm pretty, he owns multiple teams in Colorado. Um, but he like kind of spread it out more. But I also think that there's a large fan base in St. Louis that despises that man for taking their football team. Yes. And I just kind of despise him for doing so because I don't... like I'll, You go watch Rams games, and there's it's half the, it's over half the other team's fans. And well, like they've built a beautiful stadium, so it seems from afar. Yeah, yeah, they sure have. With uh, hey, there's Delco up at the Phillies game. <laughs> there you go. With my, in with my student loan interest, because is, is SoFi 
in LA or is that uh well I guess the Chargers play in LA so it is SoFi. So all that interest I'm paying on my student loans is paying for the uh, the stadium for the Rams and the, or at least the naming rights of the Rams and the Chargers. So thank you SoFi. Totally worth it. Well back to James Harden here. <laughs> so Harden then opts into his his contract thinking, "All right, well, since I'm not going to be able to get the money I want, I'm going to opt in and Daryl's going to trade me because he's been my boy. Turns out what the Sixers want for Harden is not what other teams are willing to pay to, you know, relinquish Harden. Well, yeah. Wasn't at one point there was a, uh, a proposed trade out there from cause the Clippers apparently are his preferred destination. Right. right that's, now. that's where he wants to go. And it was like they were going to trade us one of the Morris twins and like it was like an In-N-Out burger or two. Yeah, I mean, sure, I'll take an in-out burger here. <laughs> but it was like Norman Powell, Mark. I think it's Markeith Morris is out there, Marcus, one of the two. Yeah, Shout out to one. the Morris twins from Chester, PA. But one of those, and then like Robert Covington as well, and like uh, Bobby Cubs is on yeah, a draft pick that. or two. But if you're the Sixers, you don't want to do that deal because you don't want to lock yourself into contracts past this year. And it's also just more role players. Which is, we have enough I, think, of those. I think that's what Embiid needs around him and Maxi, And then you have Harris and some other role players that would probably benefit Joel the most. But yeah, the thing is, since Harden only has one year left on his contract, Tobias Harris has one year left on his contract. That's going to free up about $70 million for the Sixers next year. And they don't want to be tied down to contracts past this year. That's fair. Because then they're going to be a big player in free agency for next offseason. Well, did you see the other Sixers drama that just rolled out today with uh, Joel Embiid deleting every mention of Philadelphia and the Sixers off of his Twitter? Yeah, so his location always said, like, Philadelphia and then, like, processing something else, you yeah. know, as in a homage to Sam Hankey for Trust the Process. Yeah. And he's since removed that. Is he playing hardball with the, you know, Maury to... Or Josh Harris to fire Maury, or we don't. Yeah, I don't know. Tough to say. Joel likes to troll all of us naturally. Yeah, that's Joel's personality. It seems so. I mean, I've I'm Joel. I probably wouldn't be too happy myself either. It's like you think Harden, who I'm not gonna. He's definitely not a top ten player anymore. I'd probably put him closer to like twenty thirty range. Yeah, I think he's still like he's still a good player. He's just not an all star anymore. No, he's not who he thinks he is anymore. I I mean he. Played a good part on this team, but the thing is, you could excuse his lack of defense and his lack of effort when he's scoring 30, 40 points a night. I love the, because didn't he lead the league in assists per game this year? Yeah, he was up there. I want to say so he like, close to like 12 times a game. So, like, he's moving, he moves the ball well, but also, like, then you're really, with he, when he's on the floor, you're, you're playing five on four on the other end. Right. And he it is helps useless. You have Joel controlling the paint. Yes. But that's all he can do and it's not like you got rid of Matisse Thibel for like a good wing defender you didn't have someone like Robert Covington either so <laughs> both guys that they shipped off to Portland <laughs> right yeah what are the odds of that but when you have and then Tyrese Maxey he's not a plus defender either so you're now five on three and a half mm-hmm. four and a half I guess if you're yeah not it ideal. just becomes tough for them to win that's why they haven't gotten past the second round yeah Honestly, I like I keep an eye on the Sixers and I like I want to see them build a roster that I want to watch and support, but as far as it all stands, when it comes to Philly sports, I am a Phillies fan and I am a Union fan. I couldn't care less about the Flyers. Well, I actually don't like like actually actively dislike the Flyers. Um 
And the Eagles, I don't know. I kind of, I get down with it. I've been known to sing the Fly Eagles Fly song once in a while. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I'm i curious to see what happens with all this. And more, more info is going to come out. I mean, there's a lot of he said, she said going on. Not even he said, she said. It's just James Harden threw that out there. Well, there was also, so one other thing that I didn't mention, like the Sixers, they got penalized this past draft and like had to get rid of their second round picks because of what happened last offseason with the tampering that occurred. What tampering was that? So I, like in free agency tampering, like I think it was, it's tough to say like if it was all about like Harden, Tucker or any other moves that happened, but the Sixers were penalized to lose draft picks because of tampering that happened left last off season. Huh. Which is fascinating. And I would be more upset about it if the Sixers didn't absolutely suck at drafting. <laughs> yeah, I mean they don't have the best track record. I mean they've they hit with Maxi. Their best draft pick of the past five years plays in uh Brooklyn and never even suited up for the Sixers. Well, I mean, Joel Embiid was a draft pick. He was third overall, but he only falls to them because he had a back injury. If not, he probably yeah. goes one overall instead of Wiggins. I mean, he was also what at this point, 2012? Was he, he was drafted quite a while ago, wasn't he? I want to say it was like 20, 2014, okay, that's, 2015. Uh, you're probably right. I, so I remember during college like being all hyped that the Sixers took Joel Embiid. Yeah, 2014, he was the third overall pick in the NBA draft. Yeah, went Wiggins, Jabari Parker, and then... Joel Embiid. Hey, well, I'll take that at least. I mean, Wiggins has been Wiggins has actually gotten better as his career's gone on. Jabari Parker. Yeah, I don't think he's in the league anymore. Who Jabari? Yeah, if he is, he's like a no. He's in. Bench he, guy. he plays for FC Barcelona in Spain. Um, yeah, I don't but, remember when his last year was, but he's maybe like two years ago. Uh, actually, only last year. So he was with the Celtics through twenty two. Okay, so yeah, two years ago um, he was in the league, yeah, and then last so year was his first year, year over in Spain. Yes, it was his first year in Spain. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I just, it's hard to watch the way that the Sixers have done things. Like we could have had Jimmy Butler and that alone. I remember when he came over here, I pumped. I was the first time I really felt pumped about. Yeah. They traded Dario Saric and Robert Covington for Jimmy Butler. Yeah. It's like, wow. That's such a, looking back on it, it's a phenomenal trade for the Sixers. And then you Sixers ended up choosing Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler. Yeah, and we see how that's played out. And everybody everybody wants to say, oh, they chose Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. No, they chose Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler. Yeah, they did. And then they were forced to keep Tobias Harris because they gave up Landry Shamit, who's been a solid role player, first-round pick, and like another prospect from like overseas or two. Well, there was a minute there where Landry Shamit seemed like he might be the real deal. He like yeah, had a Wichita State playing for the Clippers there, and yeah, he's floated around the league now. He had like a Jeremy Lin moment there for a minute where he had a few big games of just like going nuts. Yeah, dropping a lot of threes. I mean, very yeah. good shooter, but that's all he is. Smaller guy, can't play much defense. Yeah, well, there's a lot of those out there. That's why they float around. You play a couple years, and then if you want to keep playing, you go overseas and enjoy enjoy the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see TJ McConnell doing that at some point. Yeah, him and his prideful defense. I love it. He's a uh, relic from another era. But next week when we get back back to recording, I imagine we'll have some more info about the James Harden uh, saga. I'm hoping he's no longer a f- uh, sixer this time next week. But nah, I don't. That's not going. It's happen. not going to happen because it's nobody wants be it. A long term. Hopefully, it doesn't drag into the season like the Ben Simmons. It will. It's going to be a did. battle of attrition, and Harden's going to show up out of shape and not want to play. Well, his fat suit on. Yeah, and he's expen- He's wealthy enough that he can sit and eat the fines. He's not worried about it. Yeah, well, when you make 
uh, he's probably made three, four hundred million throughout the course of his career so far. I'm, I'm sure makes me sick. He'll be okay missing a couple paychecks. Makes me sick. He probably made as much in the past hour that it took us to record this podcast that I will all year. Yeah, ain't that ain't that something? Someone come sponsor our podcast. Speaking of a sponsor, shout out to Ruchi Heating and Cooling in Glen Mills, PA. Sorry, we didn't get to fill your uh, your ad in here, but Ruchi Heating and Cooling, call them for all your needs. Check them out in their previous episodes. Their numbers in there. We're Google them. Ruchi Heating and Cooling. Yeah, they bought us our beer tonight. They so did. We got the Conchi Brewing Type A IPA. This is a personal favorite. Oh yeah, I feel like you and I have consumed a number of these um, off air together as well. Especially when back when we were working together, they had one of their locations up there in King of Prussia, outside of our office. Oh yeah, right around the corner, a beer garden right around from the office. Yeah, great happy hour spot. Yes. Hang out, have uh, a couple, then head home. Conjurehawk and Brewing Company. Hard to pronounce, easy to drink. I think I just gave him a new buzz line. Hey, we should <laughs> send that their way and then ask for some money on it. Sign me up. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you all so much for checking us out again this week. It is so great to be back, Tom. So happy to be back with you, getting back at it and on schedule to get some more fun content out to you guys. Please let us know if there's anything you want to hear, um, any stories, facts. You want to hear us BS more. You want to hear more history. Let us know. We're here for feedback at Going Back Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and maybe one day YouTube. We're, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> we want to do some live streams coming up soon, so yeah, hopefully you all can tune in then. Yeah, we're working on it and uh, very excited to to get some more content out to you all and expand on the Going Back, Back, Back podcast. Tom, you got anything for us before we get out of here? Yeah, looking forward to some training camp talk next week. We'll oh, yeah. To some Eagles, some Bills, some other stories around the NFL. Maybe dive in, give some fantasy advice to all you listeners out there. But, Brian, you just have sometimes you have to know when to hold them, and other times you just need to know when to fold them. All right. Thanks, Kenny Rogers. We'll see you next week.